Still just the tailor's boy. Better luck with your next job. Those people will never accept us. This isn't the life I promised you. Not even close. But I have everything I want. A place where people can see things they've never seen before. Okay. Who's that? And what is your act? I don't have an act. Everyone's got an act. People aren't going to like it if you put us on stage. No one counting on it. Well, I believe those are the words of a scoundrel. A showman. Miss Lynn, just a showman. Don't listen to them. They don't understand yet. But they will. So tell me, do you want to go? Where it's coming in all the color lights. Where the runaways are running the night. Impossible come true. It's taking over you. Does it bother you that everything you're selling is fake? Do these smiles seem fake? We have more protesters every day. Enjoy your freaks. You're risking everything you've built. Well, how do you think I built it? But you put us in the spotlight. You gave us a real family. Have you no shame? Father, the world is changing. No one ever made a difference by being like everyone else. All right, how many of you guys have seen the movie already? Several guys have. All right, uh, the impossible comes true. That's kind of the theme of the whole thing. Before we get into this, though, I just want to take just a moment to do a couple things. Uh, this is Mother's Day, and so we celebrate that. But I also recognize there's a lot of range of emotions to a day like today, because maybe you've lost a, a mom, and you, there's, there's some emotion there, or you've struggled to become one, what, whatever the case may be. There may be strained relationships. And so in moments like this, where do we go for help? Where do we go for strength? Where do we go for joy? We go to the Lord. And so can we, can we just go to the Lord just real quick and just believe that he's going to fill in the gaps, give us strength, and be the great supplier of our joy today. Amen. Lord, we thank you so much that no matter where we're at on the spectrum, we thank you so much that you fill in all of the gaps. Lord, we trust you to do that right now. Lord, wherever it has been deposited in us from those that we love, Lord, we just celebrate that today as a legacy, and we honor that, and we choose to focus on all of those things and the gift that's been given to us through you by giving them to us. We're so thankful for that, and strengthen us and give us joy in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. One more thing. I felt like during worship that I had a word for somebody. I don't know who it is, uh, but the word reversal came to my spirit. And it was simply just a very simple word that I believe that there's, uh, for somebody here, it's either a reversal of a report that you've got, a reversal of a decision that you've made, or a reversal of a situation you found yourself in. I believe that that's for somebody today. So if that's for you, hang on to that. Let that just be planted in your heart and see what God does with that. All right. No more of those other things. We're going to get into the message now. Okay. The impossible comes true. Got a question for you. How many of you guys are aware that our God is the God of the impossible? 
Now, I, I said aware. I don't mean no. I'm talking about are you aware? In other words, can you, is there an anticipa anticipation about you where it's not just knowledge that we have, but there's an awareness that we have, whether that comes through just that being alive in our spirit or through situations we've seen God come through in, whatever it is, to have that awareness. One of my favorite scriptures in the Bible is Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. And one of the reasons it's my favorite is because it just really blows the lid off who God is. So listen to these words. Now to him who is able to carry out his purpose and listen, do super abundantly more than we could all even dare ask or think infinitely beyond our greatest prayers, our greatest hopes, our greatest dreams, according to his power that is at work within us. God is the God of the impossible. How many of you guys believe that nothing is impossible with God, right? Nothing is impossible with God. And yet we see time and time again, whenever we run into a wall of impossibility, sadly, too many believers in the impossible God, the possibilities of God, we will hit a wall and we'll run the other way instead of running right through it. Or the Bible talks about jumping over a wall. Why is that? We're standing with the God of the impossible, and yet we end up encountering a wall of resistance and we go the other way. We see this in John chapter 6, verse 5 and 6. It says, this is Jesus, lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him. So a large crowd, it ends up being about 5,000 men, and so there's also women and children. And so if, uh, I mean, you could talk about 20, 25,000 people, or if you have a family like mine where I have five kids and you start to do the math, this could be like a million people coming towards Jesus, okay? This could, I mean, there's a lot of people heading there. So he sees them all coming. Jesus said to Philip, he says, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Get the picture thousands and thousands of people. And he turns over to one of his disciples, hey, where are we going to get some money to feed all these people? And it says, he said this to test him for he himself knew what he was going to do. A lot of times, in fact, I would say all of the time when Jesus asks you a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. <laughs> it's because he's, used, he's trying to see what your response is going to be like. Jesus already knew that he was going to do something, but he wanted to see how, where they were at. And so many times, God, he already has a plan. I mean, he already knows what he's going to do. But whenever he asks you a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. And so we run into this wall and we run away. We take this path of least resistance Christianity. How many of you guys have been there before? You prayed a prayer like this. God, I have two job opportunities and I just pray that whatever job you want me to have, you'll open the door and the other one will shut. And uh, whatever happens, you know, that'll just trust that was your will. And so something happens, we sit back and we watch and we try to say, oh, well, this, this one kind of has a little more frustration with it. This one is an easier path. God must have cleared the way for this path. And so I'm walking down this road now. You know what? That's not exactly how it all works. There's a place in scripture where Paul says there was an abundance of opportunities and yet many adversaries. See, if we just look for the easiest path and then we call that God's path, that's the path of least resistance. That's not walking by faith. And then that's really called fatalism. That's just like, well, whatever happens it must have been God. Well, that's not how it works. And so whenever we run into that wall, the question is, what are we going to do? Verse 7. So Philip answered him. He answers the question. It says, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough even for each of them to have a little. I mean, this guy's a man of faith, right? I mean, he's like, even if we had a bunch of money, it wouldn't even, they wouldn't even be able to have a little bit at all. 
and yet they are standing right beside the miracle worker. They are standing right beside Jesus. They've seen him do miracles, the creator of the universe. Listen, whatever problem you are facing today, whatever impossibility you are facing today, do you realize that you are standing right next to the the impossible God, the God of the possible, the creator of the universe, your source? It's no different. You're standing right there with him. But here's the thing. God is the God of the possible, but the possible is not automatic. Here's the way it looks. This is the way God showed it to me this week. If we come over here on this side and we reach the limit of our limitations, have you ever found the limit of your limitations? Has anybody ever found that? I mean, it's like, I've got nothing left to give. I've done all that I can do. How many of you guys have ever found yourself in a situation like that? You're like, I've done all that I can do. I, I can't do anything else. I can't get, I have nothing left. We reach the limit of our limitations right here. And then over here on the other side, Here we have the God of the possible. We have the dream coming true. We have the miracle happening right here. What's the problem with this? There's a gap in between, right? There's a gap between where our limitations end and where God's possibilities happen. How do I know that? It's because if if it wasn't that way, we would just always be walking right into it. But we don't. There's a gap. The problem is many of us stop at our limitations and we don't see how to get over to the possibles. And so what do we do? How do we fill the gap? The the way we fill the gap is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10. It says this, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, listen to Paul. He says, I worked harder than any of them, but listen carefully, though it was not I, it was the grace of God that is with me. See, grace is we, we think of it many times as just like this favor from God, this like, okay, I don't deserve it, and he gives it to me. And sure enough, that is what grace is, but that's not all grace is. Do you realize that Scripture paints a picture of grace being an empowerment from God to do what he's called you to do? It's like power from God. It's a deposit. In fact, when we look at the, the spiritual gifts, they're actually called grace gifts. I mean, they're actually grace. It's an empowerment from God. And so when we look at that, it's, it's simply God's empowerment to do what he's called to do. Do you realize that God empowers you to live an abundant life? Do you realize that God empowers you to be free from sin? It's not just that he washes it away and that's it. He empowers you through grace to stay free from sin. He empowers you through grace to live free from future sin. That's the grace of God. He gives you the power to do what he's called you to do. I want you to see a little bit different picture of grace. It's like a substance from God that gives you the ability to do what he's called you to do. So the answer is this. You've got the impossible over here. You're looking at it. You're saying it's impossible. And it's true. It's true from where you're standing. That's, there's a space in between. But do you know how you get to the bridge the gap from the limitation to God's possible? It's called Grace. Grace is what empowers you in the meantime. God's grace is there to empower you to do what you cannot do on your own. You can't go any further than your limitation. You can't make the miracle happen, but God's grace can empower you along the way to do what you cannot do. So we fill in the gap through God's grace. But I want you to see something about God's grace. God's grace doesn't just happen to you. God's grace doesn't just fall on you and that's it. God's grace empowers you to do something. God's grace is going to accomplish something by what it does in and through you. Did you see that from what Paul was saying? 
So it's not a passive thing that gets us from this spot to this spot. It's the grace of God, something we don't have that empowers us, but we have to cooperate with the power of God to get from here to here. Now, what are some of the things we could do to, to cooperate with God's grace? Well, I'm going to show you some of those things, and I'm going to start off by asking you some questions. So first question is this. Do your dreams match God's dreams for your life, or do they mirror your limitations? When you begin to dream and say, God, what do you have for my life? Have we reduced the possibility to this level, or are they over there in God's realms? Because, because some of us need to dream just a little bit bigger today. You guys ready for another movie clip? Let's go ahead and let's roll it. Sir, I, I know I don't come for much, but I will take care of your daughter and I will give her life as grand as this one. Bye, Amanda. She'll be back. Sooner or later, she'll tire of your life, of having nothing, and she'll come running back home. This time, Becca and I have been practicing, so I'm going to have Becca come up, and we're going to, no, she's in the nursery. <laughs> this has been a first. I never thought I would preach to a musical, so this is a bucket list item. Uh, it's been in the making since I don't know when. Um, <laughs> dreams. You realize that God enables us through his grace to start dreaming his dreams for our life. And I would say it this way. 
Well, let me first of all say Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18, it, it paraphrases, roughly says it pretty bluntly like this, where there's no vision, the people perish. And God showed it to me this way, just a little rework of that, and it's this, without a vision, possibilities die. It may still be available to you, but without a vision, you are never going to go from your limitation to his possibilities. They die in between. How many of you guys' life's going okay right now? It's going pretty good. Anybody? Just go ahead. I mean, some of you guys, it's not. How many, guys, how, how many of you guys who it, life is going pretty good, you'd like to see God do some miracles in your life? Anybody want to see God do miracles? I just set you guys up, by the way, just so you know, because... Uh, Here's the thing. I've been pastoring a long time, and here's what I've discovered. Everybody wants a miracle, but nobody wants a problem. And for a miracle to happen, it has to be preceded by a problem. So many times we want miracles. Oh, God, give me miracles. But you know what? There has to be a problem before there can be a miracle. There has to be. And so we can say we want miracles all the time, but, but be careful what you pray for, right? Mark chapter 6, here's the problem. Here's the problem. In verse 35, it says, And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour's now late. Let's send all these people away. Okay? We don't have enough money for them anyway. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and let them go to the restaurants and buy something to eat because we don't have any food here. See, the disciples wanted Jesus to send their problem away. How many times is that our prayer? Jesus, I got this problem. I, just send it away. But Jesus wanted to do something far greater than just send their problem away. He wanted to demonstrate his power in the midst of the problem. And the same is true for you and I. Many times we're praying for our problem to go away. Jesus said, wait a minute, don't you want to see some miracles? Because in order, if you just hang on long enough, if you have a vision for what God can do, then God's going to show himself strong and there's going to be some possibles happening in your life. So if you want miracles though, and if you say you want miracles, you better get around some hard situations. You're going to encounter some hard situations. You're going to encounter some difficult times. You're going to, and I don't say that as like, like, like that's the end. That's not the end. I'm just saying the closer you get to a miracle, there's a valley you go through before you get to the miracle, and it's called a problem. And don't be scared of that. Don't be afraid of that because that's not the end for you. That's just something you're passing through to get the testimony. You have to get around some hard situations because from the problem to the miracle sometimes is a harder road than we want. Now, is there anybody else? I asked about miracles. How many would like some more grace around here? Anybody like some more grace from God? Anybody? I'm not setting you up. I don't think I'm setting you up for this one. Maybe I am. Uh, more grace. Do you realize how you get more? Let me tell you how to get more grace from God. You get more grace. Let me see if I can put this in the right way. Here's what we end up doing. We end up shrinking our vision down to what's barely beyond our limitation. Do you realize that if I have a very small little sliver of here that I need to cross, I don't need much grace from God to get there. I don't have to have much of the power of God. If you want more grace in your life, increase the distance between your limitation and what you're dreaming God's possibilities are. Because the further out that is, the more grace you will see along the way because the more grace is required. But if we shrink it all the way down to what we're believing God to, to be this, I don't need much grace for this, do I? 
But if, if God is over there and I'm dreaming dreams that God has, I need a lot of grace. Now, again, let's be careful what we're praying for. We say we want miracles. We say we want grace. But the way to get grace, the way to get more grace is to increase the distance of the space in between. See, this space in between is called God's grace. But you will never experience God's grace until you move outside of your limitation. You won't experience, you may experience the favor of, of having your sins forgiven and all that type of stuff. You won't experience the empowering grace of God until you move beyond your limitations. In fact, I would say it all the way around because you can't get rid of your own sin, right? You can't do it on your own. You need the grace of God. Okay, so without vision, possibilities die. If you have a small gap, you need little grace. If you have a large gap, you need a lot of grace. So let me ask you a question. What if you could visit your future life? Would anybody do that? We talked about time machines a couple weeks ago. You know, that would be pretty fun. I look at it this way. I look at it that I can visit my future life. It's called vision. It's called a faith imagination with God. It's dreaming with God, and I can see my future life. And this is the way God intended for this to happen. I look at vision as the time machine of the Spirit. It's powered by faith. And I can step into it whenever I want. And I can partner with God to see where he wants to take me. And I can see it. In fact, years ago when we had hardly anybody in the church, I mean just a handful of people in the church, I went and I videoed. I went to a church where, um, well, let me just set it up this way. I told God from day one, I said, God, we've got no one here. But I'm going to act like, I'm going to preach like, I'm going to work like. There are a thousand people in our church. And I would get up there, and even though there would be like one and a half people sitting there in the, in the rows, one of them be asleep and one of them, you know, whatever, I preached like I, there are a thousand people. And I've done that ever since. And I went down years ago into a church that had a thousand seat auditorium, and I stood on the stage and videoed, and I said, you know what, whether you see it in me or not, I'm already a pastor of a thousand people. And I began to live like that. I began to, what was I doing? By faith, here's what faith does. Faith pulls the future into the now. It's an overlap. And by faith, I was living and have been living, even though we're a lot closer to that now, I'm still, I started being that a long time ago, whether you saw it or not. Some of you need to get a vision for your life and start living it now. Faith accelerates the future. Faith pulls the future into now. Faith pulls the possibilities into now. That's how it works. Smith Wigglesworth said it this way. He said, you're a thousand times bigger on the inside than you are the outside. Why do you say that? Because there's so much more capacity for us to dream God's dream. There's so much more space than our externals will allow us. Some of us need to just be dreaming a little bit more. Even this summer, we're talking, we've been talking about it for a couple years, but I'm pretty much sure, I'm almost 99% sure that I'm going to take a sabbatical this summer. What am I going to do during that time? It'll be several weeks where I'll be disconnected from the day-to-day -day things that are happening here for the purpose of refreshing, but for a bigger purpose of getting fresh vision from God. Now, you might say, well, Sean, that seems like a waste of time for you to go away and do that. No, I think it's an investment of time because it may set the course for the next decade for our church for where God takes us. And sometimes you got to step back out of your life. You say, well, Sean, I can't take a couple weeks. But maybe you can take an afternoon. Maybe you can take a morning and just dream with God. See, that's how we cooperate with God's grace. If we just stay here and we just look down at our feet, all we're going to see is our limitations. But if we can look up and we start to dream with God, guess what? It starts to pull us closer to the possibility. That's how it works. God's a possibility God. How many of you guys believe that? 
Some of you need to just enlarge the capacity on the inside of you just a little bit more. Too many of us are reducing the possibility down to our level, and it just shrinks God's possibility down. We don't have the confidence or the imagination to work with God, maybe because of past experiences or maybe because we failed somewhere, maybe because we have a wrong theology, like I'm just a worm before God, I'm nothing. Instead of an overcomer theology, we have an undercomer theology. It's like all I can do is just barely get by. Do you realize that you can have everything you need materially and still have a poverty mentality? You can have all the money you need and still be thinking from a position of lack. And I'm telling you, that's how so many believers live. We have everything we need according to his riches and glory, and yet we still act from a position of lack. God is not a God of poverty. God is a loving father. How many of you mothers and fathers got up today and just, you know, kind of prayed this prayer like, Lord, I sure hope that my kids don't get blessed today. And if they do get blessed, Lord, I pray that they'd feel really guilty about it and just make them just barely get by. No one does that because we love our kids. Do you realize that's not God's prayer for you either? I mean, he's not saying, oh man, I just, I just really hope that if they get any blessing, if they get any further, if they get any dream, it's a small dream because we don't want them getting too big for the riches. We just got to keep it contained. No, God has no problem with abundance. He has no problem with that. He has no problem with that. But yet a lack mentality keeps us from living what God's possibles are. Now, some of us, it, it, it keeps us from stepping into the gap. You, you may feel like you don't belong. You may feel like out of place. You may feel like on that clip, you know, the, the misfits or whatever that he assembled, you may feel like, well, where do I fit? I don't have a place. I don't have a seat at the table. I don't have anything to give. How could God use me? You may be, even be in a position of leadership at your business or in a ministry or whatever it is, and on the outside, it looks like you're, you're doing fine, but on the inside, you know you're barely holding it together. On the inside, you've got an insecurity that hounds at you every single day, and you just wonder when it's all going to come crashing down. You think, what, what do I have to give? You get into seasons of your life. I've been in seasons of my life where I've, I've felt so overwhelmed and disqualified from what God has asked me to do that I feel like, man, if one more thing happens, if one more person talks to me, if there's one more problem, I don't know, I'm just going to have to just throw in a towel, you know? How many of you guys have ever been in there before? And you get so weighted down by the lies of the enemy, you start to feel like you've got nothing to give. You start to feel disappointment, regret, pain, emptiness, dreams that have failed. Am I painting a bleak enough picture? <laughs> You say, well, Sean, you might be over-exaggerating. Over no, I've been pastoring too long to know that I'm really not. We get so caught up in a spiral downhill that we think, how could God... Here, here's the second question I can ask you. What, what do you really even have to bring to the table anyway? What is it that we have to bring? That's how we feel so many times. But, but I want you to know that God can take who you are and turn it into something. Amen? Some of you guys are going to be inspired by this next clip. Stranger to the dark Hide away, they say Cause we don't want your broken parts I'm learning to be ashamed of all my scars Run away, they say No one will love you as you are But I won't let them break me down to dust I know that there's a place for us For we are glorious the sharpest words want to cut me down 
you guys just felt a little faith rise up there a little bit, right? Like, how does that happen? It's just a movie, right? But you get the heart behind the scripture, what the scriptures say that God, how do you guys believe that God can take whoever you are, wherever you are, and turn you into who you need to be? He can do that. That's what he does. And that's, that's really how we cooperate with God's grace to fill in the gap. And it's this, number two is this, God will start with something you already have. God will start with something you already have. John chapter 6, verse 8. Let's continue this story. It says, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, you know, we, we don't have any money, but there's this boy here who's got five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Now, first of all, I've got to just commend this guy for even bringing it up, okay? I mean, there's like, imagine the Sprint Center filled with 20,000 people, and he's like, you know, we do have this boy who, he, he just came in and he came from McDonald's and, and he's got this little Happy Meal, but, but what is that for the whole Sprint Center? I mean, we can't feed everybody, you know, but, he, but he's got this, this Happy Meal here. Now, listen, every problem is a test, right? It's a test of faith. Let me give you a recipe to fail the test. You ready? Here's a recipe to fail the test of faith. Every problem is a test of faith. Measure what you have, you got a Happy Meal, against what you need, 25,000 meals. If I measure what I have against what I need, I failed the test. Because I haven't factored in the multiplier. I haven't factored in the God factor. And if all I do is measure what I have against what I need, I'm going to fail the test every single time. And that's what they kept running up against the wall of failing the test. So here we go. In verse 10, it says, Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now, there was, a much there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish as much as they wanted. Listen, God will start with something you already have. And when you bring all that you have, God will make up the difference. Let me say that again. When you bring all that you have, God will make up the difference, but only in, he won't do it until you bring all that you have. But when you do, God makes up the difference. Listen, if you have closed fists, God can't put anything in them. 
It's only when we open it up and give it to God that God can come with the blessing and he can turn it around. So this kid had a happy meal and he said, yes, that was it. I mean, that was it. That's not a big deal. He, that's all he had, but he said, yes. So here's a couple questions for us as we wrestle with this. Number one is this, what's in my hand right now that God could use? That I think if I measured against what I need, it's not even close, but what do I have? What's already in my hand? Some of you guys need to get some Happy Meal faith going on in your life. It's like, I got some Happy Meal faith. I mean, it's going to, God can take this and he can use this. God usually starts with something we have and then he multiplies it. So the boy's lunch was a seed. Our part is a seed. We simply plant the seed. You have a financial need. Guess what? You've got some money. You don't have enough, but you have a seed. You, you, God will take that as a seed. Too many of us then, though, we, we end up eating our lunch instead of letting God multiply it. We end up eating our seed. We end up using our money instead of using it for God's purposes and trusting God that he's going to do that. If the boy would have ate his lunch, he wouldn't have seen God multiply. But he went ahead and he gave it to Jesus. Listen, whatever you put in Jesus' hands has potential to multiply. But only what you put in Jesus' hands. Whatever you put in Jesus' hands has potential to multiply, but only what you put in Jesus' hands. If you keep it to yourself, if it stays in your hand, the miracle is not possible as long as it stays in your hand. God will start with something you have. You feel like you have a calling. You don't have an opportunity, but you've got a voice. Use your voice. You've got, you've got a financial need, but you don't have enough money. Well, start sowing a seed. Start planting a seed. You know, God will use, you say, I've got a financial need and I, it's too big for me. But you know what you have? You, God gave you a gift. It's called a budget. You say, but even if I budget, it's not going to be enough. It doesn't matter. God starts with what you've got. Faithful and little, faithful and much. Well, it's too much. Why would I even start there? It's because that's the principles of God. That what's in your hand, God will use. And then God can multiply, but only what you put in God's hand. Man, I'm preaching way better than you guys are getting it this morning. I know I have to say that a few times, but... I'm getting more excited. I've heard this message like five times already this week. I'm getting more excited about it now than I ever have. But God will use something that's already in your hands. But here's why we don't put it in God's hands. It's because we haven't addressed this question. And here's the second question. Who is my source? It's a real struggle for me to put this little bit that I've got, if this is my lunch, into God's hand if I don't trust that he can actually supply. I want to hang on if God's really not my source. I want to hang on to everything I got. Well, why would I sow a seed of money when I need more of it? It's because you've you got to trust God as your source. You've got to trust God as your source. You realize that Jesus is not limited by conventional and traditional means of supplying for your needs. One time, I mean, he, he, he needed some tax money. Some of the disciples needed tax money. They're thinking, I got no money. I, I don't have money. Jesus is like, why don't you go fishing? He goes and catches a fish, and inside the fish is some money to pay for the bill. See, it didn't make sense, but God didn't have to use the traditional system. There was another time when they'd been fishing all night and they just had caught nothing. And Jesus gives them a word and it says, how about you put the net on the other side of the boat? Well, that doesn't make sense, but Jesus can do it differently. He doesn't have to use the same method. He just said, all right. And then they had too many fish in ancient Israel. They, they were wandering around in the wilderness. And instead of, you know, having a way for them to get food, God just dropped it on there in the form of man and said, I'll supply in a different way. It'll just come from heaven. That'll be fine. God doesn't need to do it the traditional way. Elijah, I mean, he's running away. He's hanging out. He's depressed, and, but he's got nothing. But all of a sudden, these, these ravens start coming in and supplying. Some of you guys need to get a vision and put your trust not in a certain source, but in the source.
So, so we have Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. It says, And my God will supply every need according to, your rich, according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I want you to notice one word there. It's called God. I put it in capital letters so that we would see it. Because it is God who is our supply. It is not our job that is our supply. It is not, our, it's not people around us. It's not our relation. It's God that is the supplier. On our money, it says this. I'm surprised it still does, but it does. It says what? On the back of your money, it says, In God we trust. But the way a lot of us act, it might as well say, In this money I trust. Or it might say, In my job I trust. Or in my spouse, I trust. Or in my relationships, I trust. Or in my friends. It might as well say something else because of the way we're acting. We don't act like it's God who is our source. And here's why this is important. What you put your trust in becomes your savior. So whenever you have a need and a problem, whatever, wherever your trust is genuinely at, that's where you run to. If it's been in your job, if you start to lose your job, you freak out because your job has been your source. You, you, you say... Well, why are you harping on this? Because I'm telling you, none of us will use what's in our hand until we trust God as our source. None of us will let go of what we have unless God really is our source. You see, the problem is, is that the money will run out from time to time. It's not a trustworthy source. Our job sometimes changes, doesn't it? It's not a trustworthy source. The government, well, why don't I even mention the government? I don't even know. So it's, it is what it is, Right? But it's not a trustworthy source. Some of us have so, many, so much faith in these other sources, we don't have space to trust God as our source. So if you want to experience the blessing, the grace-enabling power of when you leave something in God's hand that God will multiply it, here's what you have to do in your, your heart, in your spirit, in your soul even, and it's go back and live in your dad's house. You want to experience blessing. You want to experience the source. Go back and live in your dad's house. Not a show of hands, but some of you guys maybe uh, have some kids that moved away and then they got older and moved back in and you're like, I'm a failure. It's just, it wasn't supposed to work that way. But uh, no, there's special circumstances. But you're like, why would I move back into my parents' house? I'm talking about moving back into the father's house. Because some of us have moved out of his, out of his supply. And then we're wondering... Why isn't God, why isn't he providing for me? No, when you live in God's house, let me just put it in practical terms. I don't live in poverty. My family doesn't live in poverty. We have what we need. So I have five kids that live in my house. And I can tell you, they don't wonder where their next meal's coming from. They don't wonder where they're sleeping at night. Why? Because they live in dad's house. I'm going to take care of that. I, they know that there's a meal come. There's, there's a meal coming if they need it. They know that there's a bed to lay in if they need to go to sleep. Why? Because they live in my house. It's my job to take care of those things and to make sure those things are provided. I can do it in a different way, though. I may go to the grocery store, or my wife may go to the grocery store and get food, but I can also go to Olive Garden and get food. I could also kill one of my chickens and get food if I wanted to. The point is, I don't have to do it just one way. And my kids don't wonder. It's not their job to wonder where their meal is coming from. It's my job. 
The same is true with your heavenly father. It's not your job to wonder where the meal's coming from. He's going to take care of you because you live in his house. He may do it through your job. He may do it through your budget. He may do it through a friend. He may do it through a refund. He may do it through however he wants to do it. But if you trust just one source instead of the source, you may never step beyond your limitation. God is a possibility God. God doesn't live in poverty. We don't need to stress out what's happening next. So whenever we give God what's in our hand and we trust him as our source, as the multiplier, what happens? The the possibilities start to get a little bit closer. Now, one final question as we get ready to wrap up here, and it's this. Who are you dreaming for? I didn't say what are you dreaming for. Who are you dreaming for? Because so many times we get caught up in this realm of it's all about my dream, my thing, my deal, my whatever. We live in this individualistic United States of America. Saw on the way in here, it's bumper sticker said God and country. That's fine. I love both of those things. But listen, they're not one and the same. And so I, I put my trust in God, which means I'm not all about myself either. God's, trust, God's heart is for other people. Selfish dreams are lonely dreams. Who are we dreaming for? We've got to start realizing that this thing is bigger than ourselves. Let's watch this last clip. I drank champagne with kings and queens. The politicians praised my name. But those were someone else's dreams, the pitfalls of the man I became. For years and years, I chased their cheers, a crazy speed of always needing more. But when I stop and see you here, I remember. It's just tonight.
I don't want to just dance like Hugh Jackman. I want to be able to run like him. I mean, that was awesome. That was awesome. Uh, the greatest dreams, we talk about the greatest showman, the greatest dreams are the dreams we have for other people. That's the heart of God. The greatest dreams are the dreams that we have for other people. And that's what we love so much about mothers, you know, because I can't, as I've said before, I don't don't know the last time a mother had a hot meal, but it's because they're always serving other people and, you know, all of that, you know, we we celebrate that. They get that idea. I'm going to close up with this last story, and it was a book that I was reading from Chris Vallotton, and he tells a story in the book uh, about how years and years ago, he didn't have any money. He was broke, didn't have any money. Somebody gave him some money for his birthday, and he just went and he splurged, and so he bought a watch. He bought a $110 watch, which was a big deal at the time for him. He'd never had one, and he just went ahead and he bought this watch. And so the next day, he's in church, he's in worship, you know, he's doing his thing and worshiping, and the guy behind him in the row, like, kind of says, hey, that's an awesome watch, and begins to talk to him, like, during worship. And after the service, evidently, he, he said, hey, I'll trade you watches, and so... Chris is like looking at the other guy's watch. He's like, didn't like the way it looked as much as his. It was his brand new watch. I mean, he's kind of wrestling with this, but he felt put in an awkward situation. And so long story short, he ended up trading watches with the guy. And so he's like, whatever. And he went to go get it resized because it wasn't the same size that he needed. And he took it into the the watch place and the watch, he began to tell the story about how he traded it for his $110 watch. And the watch guy said, wow, you got the better end of this deal. He said, what do you mean? said, well, this watch that you now have is a $1,500 watch. He's like, oh man, I can't believe that I didn't see that or that this is awesome. I just, I mean, this is a much better deal. And so uh, some year later or so, he was going overseas and he was teaching at a conference or something like that. And, and it was a five-day conference. And there was one of the guys there, one of the pastors, I believe, started to joke with him from the very beginning and said, I believe God is wanting you to give me your watch. And Chris was like, no, that's a, you're listening to the wrong spirit, buddy. That's not the voice of the Lord. And so this started, this banter happened all throughout the conference, like for days and days. And finally, towards the end of it, God spoke to Chris and said, no, you, you are supposed to give him that watch. But he said, don't worry about it. I'll take care of you. And so he gives him this expensive watch. And before he had left, somebody gave him an even greater expensive watch than that. I mean, it's like worth a whole lot more than that. And so he wore that watch for a couple years. And then he went to Romania, which is very, very poor. The pastors there were poor. And, and uh, as he gets there, God speaks to him and says, I want you to give one of these pastors your watch. And he didn't have the money to replace it. But he's like, okay, God, well, what kind of deal are you working with me now? What am I going to get now? And God said, no deal. Just give him the watch. And so he started to wrestle with God about that for a while. And he, he said that God spoke to him and told him this. Listen very carefully. He said, when you had a little, you were willing to obey me. But now that you have a lot, you're disobedient. Don't worry about giving the pastor your watch. I'll just reduce your prosperity down to your ability to obey. And that way you won't be led into temptation. He very quickly gave the watch away to the guy. (laughs) See, when we lose perspective that there are other people, it's not just about our thing. It's not just about our dream. The external environment that we have will right-size back down to the internal environment that we've allowed to be created on the inside. It just will. It's just a, a principle of God. Never forget, it's not about us. God's heart is to use us to bless others. Let's finish up the story, and then we're done. John chapter 6, verse 12 and 13. It says, And when they'd eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. 
And so they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. Now again, this fed thousands of people, and at the end, they have 12 baskets left over. How does that make sense? It, it doesn't make sense by what we are able to do. But when you put something in God's hand, God can do what you never thought could happen, even more than you even ask, even more than you dream. So we might as well dream big. We might as well dream bigger. But God's plan for you isn't for you to live miracle to miracle. Do you realize that? It's for you to live blessing to blessing so that you can be a blessing to other people for us to move even further along so that we're able to bless other people. So how do we bridge the gap between our limitations and God's possibilities? We walk in God's empowering grace. Would you guys stand up with me as we close our eyes and just kind of go to God in prayer about this for just a second? Then we're going to share something really, really significant for somebody here today. Lord, we thank you that you are the God of the possible. Some of us may need to repent for how we've shrunk it down to what we are capable of instead of dreaming bigger. Some of us may need, may need a reversal in our heart, a reversal in our mind. But Lord, I, I pray that every single person here would choose to put whatever we have in your hands. Lord, we, just, we know you're our source. We know you're the multiplier. Whether we need multiplied joy or multiplied provision, whatever it is, Lord, we trust that you can do it. We'd put that in your hands right now. You might even just see yourself just placing that right in God's hands right now and say, God, it's all yours. Take it, multiply it, do what I can't do. In Jesus' name, amen. One quick thing here. Joseph had something that God was showing him earlier. I'm gonna have him share that because I believe it's a right now word for some people here today. This morning I woke, God had given me a dream last night and I felt like I was supposed to share it. The, the dream was a, it was a home, it was a house, and there was a family in the house, and they were, they were happy, and, and they were growing in, in joy, and they went into the basement, and they realized there was this room in the basement, and they realized that this room was a room where there was, their grandmother had stayed many times, and what God showed them in the dream was that in this room, that grandmother had prayed and prayed for the family and that the blessings that they were receiving and the joy was because of the prayers of that, that mother that cared about the family. And what I wanted to share with you was there's mothers here that maybe you're not seeing that today, but Proverbs says to raise a child up in the way they should go, and when they're old, they will not forget it. That's a promise that you can hold on to. Those prayers that you're praying, they're real, and they, they will come. Believe in those promises that God is giving you, and, and be encouraged today. He does hear you, and there, there will be a day when you see that happen. Amen. And you, you may say, I don't have any control over what's happening in my family or anything. Well, you can give, you can place a prayer that's in your hand. You can place it into the hands of God and watch God multiply. Amen. Let's worship God one more time.